We are moving into a new sermon series. We're going to have the readings in a little bit, but I want to give a bit of an introduction before we um, hear from Scripture. You should have received a white piece of paper as you came in, and if you could grab that just now, that would be really helpful. On one side, it's got an Old Testament timeline. Um, It's quite brief, so don't worry, I'm not going to do a history lesson. But I want to go through some of the background. Uh, Daniel appears chronologically quite late in the Old Testament, And to be able to understand what's going on in the book of Daniel, I think it's quite important to know what's gone before so that we can understand the challenges that he is facing. So a little bit of Old Testament history. We go right back to the beginning. Um, Well, not absolutely the beginning, but we've got what's called the patriarchs. So when God's people are formed for the first time with some sort of leadership, that period of time is the time of the patriarchs. And the patriarchs are Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and they are leading God's people in a particular way, in a sort of patriarchal way, as the heads of families. And um, so Isaac and Jacob are son and grandson. And then we have the 12 tribes. And if you know the story of Joseph and the multicolored dream coat, you'll know that the, the sons of Jacob form the, the 12 tribes. And that's basically how God's people are organized and how they are led at that time. They then move into a different period where things are getting quite tricky. Life is not always as easy as it might be, and people might know what God is asking them to do, but they don't always follow it. And so there came a period of judges, not leaders as such, but people who were known as judges, wise people who gave counsel about war and how to work out the politics with the the countries round about, offered judgment when there was controversy amongst the people, and also led them into what God was saying at particular times. And there was all sorts of names people we've never heard of. The, the famous ones are Deborah, Gideon, Samson, um, and then some unpronounceable ones as well. And then God said, now is the time when you're going to have a king. And that was quite an important time for God's people. To actually be a nation with a king, was a, you know, that was a massive step forward for them. They felt completely organized and independent and structured. And we had Saul, David, and Solomon as the first kings of Israel. The kingdom then divided. We had the 12 tribes, and they had a bit of a falling out, and they split, and we had the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. And there were kings of both of those nations, Israel and Judah. Again, politically, life was getting very turbulent with threats from outside, threats from Assyria. This is what we looked at when we were studying Isaiah. This threat of invasion was coming all the time, and we had the period of the prophets, Isaiah being one of them, Hosea, Joel, Amos, others as well, who again were speaking into the turbulent times, speaking to God's people still in their homeland, but warning them that life might get more difficult and challenge ahead was to come. And there was a threat of exile. It didn't happen with the Assyrians, but it did happen later. And the book of Isaiah, towards the end, looks forward to that time when actually there would be exile. And that's what happened next. Babylon became the strongest power of the time, and they invaded. And they took a good number of God's people back to Babylon with them. And we have got other prophets speaking at that time. Jeremiah, Daniel, Ezekiel. And then the final period of the Old Testament is the return back after a few hundred years, back to the land of God's people, back to Israel. And we've got Ezra, Nehemiah, 
and prophets of Zechariah and Malachi. A period of, of restitution, of rebuilding, even rebuilding the temple which had been destroyed. But with a massive history that has gone on that's raised lots of questions. And then we have about 400 years at the end of the, New, of the Old Testament before the New Testament begins. So that's a very quick snapshot. It's really hard when you pick up your Bible because it's not in chronological order. So to try to understand what fits where, I wanted to do this. So we are going to be looking at um, the book of Daniel. And as I say, this is the period of exile. And when Daniel opens, King Nebuchadnezzar is on the throne. As I said, Babylon is the dominant power. And they've come in. They've subdued Judah, they've sacked Jerusalem, they've destroyed the temple, they've taken lots of the fittings of the temple away and a large part of the population back to Babylon. And Daniel is one of the men who is taken back to Babylon. He's a gifted young man, he's from a family of Jewish nobility and he and the others are taken back to be part of King Nebuchadnezzar's staff. So they're going to be trained for three years trained in the language, the culture of Babylon. And then, having been trained, they're going to enter into service of the king of Babylon. So they're living in a different place, in a different culture. They're learning the language, the literature, the ways of a different population. They're even given new names. They're living as Jews, but in a foreign country. And the book of Daniel is asking... What does that mean? What does it mean to live as a Jew, God's people, in a foreign country? We're going to have our readings now, thanks. The reading is from Daniel, chapter 1, verses 1 to 21. In the third year of the reign of Joachim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord delivered Joachim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the articles from the temple of God. These he carried off to the temple of his God in Babylonia and put in the treasure house of his God. When the king ordered Ashpenazah, chief of his court officials, to bring in some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility, young men, without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. He was to teach them the language and literature of the Babylonians. The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They were to be trained for three years, and after that they were to enter the king's service. Among these were some from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah. The chief official gave their new names to Daniel, the name Belshazzar, to Hananiah, Shadrach, to Mishael, Meshach, and to Azariah, Abnanego. But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine, and he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself in this way. Now God had caused the official to show favour and sympathy to Daniel. But the official told Daniel, I'm afraid of my lord the king, who has assigned your food and drink. Why should he see you looking worse than the other young men of your age? The king would then have my head because of you. 
Daniel then said to the guard whom the chief official had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael and Azariah, please test your servants for ten days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then compare our appearance with that of the young men who eat the royal food and treat your servants in accordance with what you see. So he agreed to this and tested them for ten days. At the end of the ten days, they looked healthier and better nourished than any of the young men who ate the royal food. So the guard took away their choice food and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables instead. To these four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning. And Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. At the end of the time set by the king to bring them in, the chief official presented them to Nebuchadnezzar. The king talked with them and he found none equal to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael and Azariah. So they entered the king's service in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them. He found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters in the whole kingdom. And Daniel remained there until the year of King Cyrus. This is the word of the Lord. So a chapter about um, food regulations and and what to do. A little bit of a kind of snapshot. Up until now, God's people have been living in a way that has asked them to be distinctly different. The whole of the Bible is about how to live as God's people. We've spent time last time looking at the New Testament, how to live as God's kingdom people under the reign of Jesus. But the whole of the Bible is about how do we live as God's people and the challenges that that presents. And up until now, that's why I've done a little bit of the overview, what has been asked of God's people is to live as distinctly different people in their own land, with their own borders and boundaries, with their own rules, their own culture, their own language, and their own way of worship. That's all got blown apart now. Because God's people are not living in their own land. They're not living where God has placed them. And they've lost the temple where they believe truly God inhabits. They really believe the temple to be the holy place where God dwelt and once a year the high priest was able to enter into the place the holy of holies and have a face-on encounter with God so having been told you are my people and this is where you're living and here's my temple and here is where I am they've been taken away from that and they're in a foreign place where they can't speak the language where there are different cultures there are different religions and there is no temple So where is God? And that is the question that those in exile are wrestling with. Where is God in this new place? Are we abandoned from him? Has he left us? We weep, we mourn. What do we do? What is going on? What about all the promises that God gave us? But as they live in exile, they discover that God truly is with them. Even already in chapter 1 we can see sense of God being present and as 
The book of Daniel goes on. We've got some amazing stories of angels and lions and um, fire and God protecting his people. So they are living with a different reality to that which they have always known in their history as a people. God is with them in a foreign land where there is no temple. And they have to begin to change their theology. Now that sounds really scary. But what theology means is understanding about God. That's all theology is. People use big words. But theology is about how we understand God. And they are forced, because of their circumstances, to rethink their understanding of God, who he is, and what it means for them to live as his people. So God is there. He is with them in a different place, in a foreign land where there is no temple. But how do they live as his people? Some assimilation is necessary. They're going to survive. They have to learn the language. They have to live alongside the Babylonians. They take new names. They learn literature. They learn the ways of being. They they are willing to serve the king. So already they are changing how they live their lives from how they felt they had been asked by God to be separate and distinct. They are changing how they see they are able to live. But some things are a step too far. And in chapter 1, it's about food. It's about food regulations. And it seems the most bizarre thing to say, well, I'll change my name and I'll learn a different language and you know, I'll live in a different country, but I'm not going to eat the food. So we have to understand why that becomes a step too far. And if we go back to the book of Leviticus, we see that for the Jewish people, food regulations are really important. And God has said to them what they can eat and what they can't eat, or more specifically, what they can't eat. And there were two problems with the food that they were being offered in Babylon. The first problem was that the king, when he prepared or had meals prepared, the first part of that meal would be taken away and presented to the Babylonian gods. So already they felt this food was contaminated because there was a sense in which it had been used as an offering to a god who wasn't Yahweh, their god. So they were uncomfortable in eating food that had this other sense attracted to it. It was contaminated because of this taking some of it and offering it to a Babylonian god. There was a second problem. Some of the meat that they would be given to eat was forbidden in Leviticus. The Babylonians ate pork and they ate horse meat and that wasn't allowed. I mean, can you remember the horrors when we thought we were eating horse meat in our burgers a couple of years ago? This is even worse than that. To be given meat that was forbidden, that was unclean. By eating it, it made them unclean. And if you're unclean, you're out of relationship with God. So two reasons that this food became such a problem. So this was the, the step too far. This was the thing that Daniel and his friends couldn't compromise on. And they needed to stake to take a stand. So they refused to eat the king's food. 
The servants are concerned about this because they reckon that they're going to not manage to, to live a normal life by only eating vegetables and water. And bizarrely, they thrive and are even better than the others towards the end of it. So either it's saying be a vegetarian to live well, or it's actually saying that God was behind this. And he was blessing the stand that they took. And I think I choose to believe the second. Being a vegetarian is very, very good, but eating meat is okay as well. But they needed to take that stand And God honoured it, blessed them, and they thrived. So the question that Daniel is asking is, where is compromise a danger? Where can I become like these people and it's okay? And where does it become a step too far? And how do I know what to do? I want just to go back a little bit more and, and, and... this whole sense of being separate and being apart was such a vital part of being God's people that this was the greatest challenge to Daniel. That at one point God was saying to them, you must be apart, you must be separate, and here are your tight boundaries. And in some ways that makes life quite easy. Because even if you don't follow all the commandments, you know what you should be doing. You understand where you are. It's boxed. Here you are. Here's the package. To live as my people, it's here. But the walls have fallen down and they're over here now. And God is still with them. So how do you know what to do if these rules are no longer the same? What do you do? How do you work it out? And I think that's the most exciting question. Because I think that's the question that we live with day by day. They are having to rethink their understanding of God and how they live as his people. And the history since Jesus is exactly the same, that constantly God's people are faced with challenges about who God is and about what it means to live as his people. And this is why I think for us, in our society today, it's really important to be looking at the book of Daniel. Many would say that we're living in an alien culture in the United Kingdom. We're not the nation that we once were. We're not the nation that is predominantly Christian. I'm not particularly worried about it because I think actually the church is now a place where you go because you have a real desire to get to know God rather than because society dictates it. So I think it's actually quite an exciting time. But there are challenges. We're a multi-faith nation We're a nation that has many values. I think they were always there, but we're much more aware of them now. Materialism, consumerism, secularism. How do we take a stand? Where is it okay to be in the world and living as the people around us? And where do we need to be saying, actually, no, here is a step too far. Let's have our next reading from Matthew, because it was still the same in Jesus' time as well. The reading is taken from Matthew, chapter 10, verses 16 to 20. I am sending you out like sheep among wolves, 
Therefore, be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. Be on your guard against men. They will hand you over to the local councils and flog you in their synagogues. On my account, you will be brought before governors and kings as witnesses to them and to the Gentiles. But when they arrest you, do not worry about what to say or how to say it. At that time, you will be given what to say. For it will not be you speaking, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. That's a bit scary and a bit reassuring. It's real. Jesus is saying actually life isn't going to be easy. And we know that, that living as God's people, living as followers of Jesus, isn't always easy. But we have the promise and the assurance that whatever happens to us, Wherever we are, that Jesus is with us and that the power of his spirit, he works through us and helps us in the particular situations. It doesn't sometimes change what goes on. And we think of around the world at the moment, we have Christians who are being persecuted. And praise God, that's not the situation for us now. But around the world, just to be a Christian means that you face the threat of death. But we hear stories from the persecuted church that speak of their knowledge of Jesus with them, even in the most ghastly, horrendous, horrible times. Jesus is with them. So this is the world that we inhabit. The boundaries are down. We're not within this little box that says, here you are, as God's people, you can live tightly within this box and everything's going to be okay. We're living where the boundaries are down. We're living in the world because the message is now for all people. The message is for the whole world, not just for a defined group of people. But because of that, the challenges and the questions become more complex, more complicated. Some of them would be easier than others. If we were living in Iraq and we had a choice of acknowledging whether we were Christian or not, it's fairly clear that to deny that we're Christian is probably not what God wants us to do. But what about the issues that are not so clear-cut? Daniel had to do that complete exercise of working out what was okay and what wasn't okay. And I think where we are in 2015, the Christian church is facing the same situation of having to work out where we go along with society and where we don't. And it isn't clear, always, what way to go. Thinking back over the last week, we had Dietrich Bonhoeffer Day. Dietrich Bonhoeffer faced the greatest ethical challenge of any Christian pastor. And he was involved in a plot to kill Hitler. And he was killed for that. But as a Christian pastor, he had to weigh up the commandment, do not kill, alongside the threat of Hitler and all that that meant. I'm glad I wasn't in his shoes. What do you do in that situation? How do you know what is the right thing to do? And people still debate that question. Did he do the right thing? It's out there. There isn't a black and white answer. We're faced with questions about all sorts of ethical issues. End of life issues. When is it right to end a life? Start of life issues. Assisted conception. What's ethically okay and what's not? And it isn't clear cut. How do we answer that? 
the whole issue of, of gay marriage that the church is struggling with at the moment. What is the right way forward? Some people think it's clear-cut, but there's a lot of people in the middle that are not so sure. What do we do? What is the right thing? What is God asking of us? We need to be upfront and aware that these challenges still exist. And somehow, we need to work our way through them to know what to do. So what do we do? I'm not going to give you the answers because I don't think they're there. I think the first thing is to acknowledge that there are challenges, that they're not easy, but we should face up to them rather than put our heads in the sand. To pretend they don't exist means our Christian voice will never be heard. It's easier to ignore them, but let's actually be upfront and honest and say, these are challenges, theological questions, ethical issues that are really tricky, really complex, and we don't know where to go, but we're going to face them. We're going to work through them and we're not going to pretend they don't exist. Secondly, I think we need to have a listening exercise. We need to listen to one another as Christians. We need to listen to theologians, those who are really studying scholarly things. Listen to one another as as Christians sitting in pews. Listen to society. Because if we shut our ears to society, we're only half-hearted as well. We need to listen We need to study the Bible and to really seek God's understanding. To find out, is there something we can take from Scripture that gives us some way forward in this? And we need to listen to our consciences and to our hearts because God will often speak to them. I think that as we wrestle, we draw closer to God to actually ask the difficult questions and to wrestle with them means that we can draw closer to God. And also when we do take a stand, when we do take a stand on the right things, we know we do it with God with us, Jesus speaking for us, and the Holy Spirit working through us. That's what Daniel shows us, and that's what we can take from him today. Amen.